Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about a thing they like, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers, and also I am a co-host and kind of comedian, uh, Will Hines. I'm the other one of all those things, and so much more, Kevin Hines. And Kevin, today we're continuing our journey through Marvel Firsts, which is the first appearances uh, of the Marvel sort of Silver Age, really just Marvel Comics in general. The mm-hmm. Silver Age of Comics, the 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 birth of Marvel Comics. And today we're going over the Avengers issue number one. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about number four, too, since that was so seminal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Avengers one, which is the basically the Justice League of the Marvel Universe, the gathering of all their non-second biggest list yeah characters which sort of was what justice league was because superman and batman weren't really in it much from what i understand in the original ones like they were sort of held out yeah it was like the adam and martian manhunter and stuff though i think they were more involved than uh spider-man for instances and that's sort of the fantastic four are uh but it basically is like every other character (laughs) yeah any any character that's not in a team and not named spider-man and drawn by Jack Kirby, because Doctor Strange is not here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange would have fit. Yeah, he would have been great. He would have helped. Uh, maybe because he just, like, feels less like a superhero in these days. It just, they didn't yeah. even think about him. I think it's just because it was Jack Kirby, and he's not reading other people's books. Yeah. Spider who? <laughs> Stanley's like, put them all together. And he goes, sure. I put them all in. What about uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange and Spider-Man? I thought you said all the real heroes, <laughs> some broad-shouldered, large-chinned, fists-first characters. For all the, um, you know, true and understandable uh, outrage that Stan Lee either took credit or allowed people to give him credit beyond what he was due and therefore take credit away from Jack Kirby – uh, Jack also gave Stan no credit and and wasn't didn't seem to be good about reading other people's stuff. Maybe because he was drawing like a hundred pages a day. Um, you know, I don't I don't think Jack was a guy who like could tell you what was happening in other people's books or what the strengths were of those other books. Maybe yeah, or anything like that. Yeah, I mean that for sure might be true. Like. Uh, I mean, it's so hard to imagine. I don't, Jack Kirby doesn't give the look of a guy who would like comic books, right? He looks like no. a sort of like construction worker. Like he yeah, looks, looks like, like he should be guys worker. like in a bar or hanging out with cops and just being like these kids. <laughs> you wouldn't see that a guy at a bar and you say like, which, what's your favorite Fantastic Four villain? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what he thinks about this art form that he sort of was so talented at. He must have liked it. How could you be this good at something and not like it? So he well, must have liked it. I but... can't imagine him being a a type of person which has sort of gone now, which is like the fan of the short story, right? Like, um, there there was like in you know the whole like thrilling adventure paperbacks. Um, I, I think that this was the you know I think this was the era of like ma- every magazine had one or two short stories, and there'd be like sure, collections or maybe of a pulp. Pulp yeah. uh, book reader reading uh, Conan and and uh... yeah, I could see him being like a fan of that stuff, like mm-hmm. sort of like a proto sci fi guy. 
like yeah. as sci-fi was sort of like coming into existence. He where must he, like science fiction. It would make no sense for him not to be a science fiction fan. He just doesn't give off that vibe. He doesn't give off that vibe. But I, you know, uh, Kevin, I live in Los Angeles and there's this. Theme- oh, that's yep. I've been looking for you and I couldn't mm-hmm. find you. There's a theme park out here called Disneyland. I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, no, it you, must be a local thing. It's a local little little mom and pop uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> theme park. But if you go there um, and you it's it's the original Disney park. And if you go into the center of it, it is the sort of like old part of Disneyland on the outskirts is like the Raiders of the Lost Ark ride. And, you know, but on the inside is like Peter Pan, you know, Dumbo's flying, whatever the the teacups from Alice in Wonderland. Um, and if, if you look at Disneyland, like Adventureland, you can ride a steamboat. You know, and there's cowboys with lariats, and right. Then you know you can go to like Fantasyland, where there's like princesses and kings, and I, and I feel like that is a snapshot of what the the mind of people in the fifties were of like what equals speculative fiction, um, and Jack Kirby comes from that. Like, uh, he's a, he is interesting, but there yeah. in in Marvel: The Untold Story, which I keep talking about. Um, there is a, they tell about, um, an, an anecdote, which is sort of famous, which is when Jack was on some radio show. I think this is in the eighties, maybe the seventies. And he just starts like trashing Stan Lee. And he's basically saying like, I made everything, you know, and Stan did nothing. And Stan calls in, I think it's like Jack's birthday or something. And so like, and Stan calls in and is like, yeah, I just wanted to wish a birthday to Jack Kirby. And also Jack, uh, what's, (laughs) what are you saying? Like, I don't think, and one of the things that stands, you know, stands kind of like, why are you so mad? Why aren't you, mm-hmm. uh, in in a stand kind of joking way? And one thing Stan says is, Jack, I don't think you ever read the books after I added the dialogue, and that doesn't make. I think he's right. That doesn't make it fair for Stan Lee to say that he's the writer of these books. Mm-hmm. But Stan did add value with the with the dialogue, and I think it's entirely possible that Jack never read them. <laughs> Yeah, or if he did, it was like uh, just a hand. I mean, you feel like he must have read some before he started like scripting his own stuff for Fourth World, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, I mean, Jack had written his own dialogue and stuff all through the 40s and 50s. It wasn't like he needed to learn from Was Stan. he? Well, or Joe Simon doing that? I don't know, actually. Okay, so don't make that claim. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. Like, you don't hear, I mean, I I feel like Ditko probably read Kirby stuff. Yeah, I th- I think uh, so too. I don't know. He probably appreciated it. It doesn't seem like it was his thing, or some right. of it certainly wasn't. Um, I don't know how much of it he read, but he certainly read some of it. And then I feel like everyone else probably read everything. Like Don Heck was probably like reading everything. And yeah, and looking, right, right. I don't know if that's true, but like you just get that sort of feel. It's like, oh, if this is the book that's selling, I need to at least read it to see if I can emulate it. There was another Kirby comment about Spider-Man, which was like he was complimenting Spider-Man. But the way he complimented it was, well, Steve took that idea and made it very sellable or something. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But it was also good. Right, Jack? Like, did you did you notice that it was good? <laughs> also, it, it took that idea, the name Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Because like, from everything we can see, like Kirby's idea for Spider-Man 
didn't have a lot in common with the character he becomes. It was more of a Shazam book and all this other stuff. Yeah, a kid gets a ring from a wizard or something. Yeah. Um, like it's kind of a totally different feel. Yeah. It would I don't be think like Spider Man would said, be. Yeah, those web sh- those web shooters really made it sellable. It's like Jack, did you read the book? <laughs> like, yeah. And he might have, but um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look, I'm pro Jack Kirby, and I'm you know. He deserves more credit than he gets. I mean, sure. On the microphone, you have never said a bad thing about Jack Kirby. (laughs) Off off the podcast, (laughs) you trash him a lot. But publicly, nobody's a bigger booster than you. Yeah. Um, Someday my private private whisper campaign against Jack Kirby will take root. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I don't know. I'm always fascinated by these guys. And uh, Kirby was a genius. And so we're going to read some of his work today. He is the... Artist on artist and co-plotter uh, mm-hmm. of the Avengers. Um, before we do that, do we want to get into any adjacent media or even um, media at all? I don't know if I've watched anything that fits into this category. James Gunn announced the new DC projects that are coming out. I don't okay. know if you saw that. James I Gunn s- is sort of the uh, he's the head of the, he's the, the Kevin of Feige of Marvel. Yeah, I mean, right. of uh, DC, yeah. <laughs> of Marvel, um, yeah. He's sort of the uh, uh, LeBron James of basketball, people would say. And is, no, he, uh, is, he, is he still doing um, Guardians 3? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, finished or about finished. Like, he's finishing editing okay. it. Like, okay. it's okay. all but done. That is his last, like, Marvel project, as far as I know. Yeah. And then he is all DC after that because they sort of... Um, Hired him. Hired him to, to run him the, whole, the whole show. Anything um, surpri- I, I saw on Twitter that there's a video of James Gunn making the announcement. Um, and was there anything surprising in that or? Um, yeah, I mean, the projects are it's an it's a it's a good uh, batch of stuff in the sense that it is. Kind of a little varied. Mm-hmm. Um, like not but, just the most likely names. Yeah, it's not three Batman films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the sort of thing like some people are very excited about it, but it's like without knowing who's making these movies, right? It, you who's know in them? Yeah. It's like, how can you get that excited? Like, James Gunn is making a Superman movie that will probably be pretty good, yeah, because I think James Gunn is good and Superman is a good character, but you know, <laughs> we don't really know much about it other than it seems like he's being inspired, he's taking a lot of inspiration from All Star Superman, which seems like a good place, sure. Great, I mean, it's from. a great comic. Uh, there's a Batman and Robin movie coming that seems to be taking, he seems to be pulling a lot of stuff from Grant Morrison titles. So like there's a, uh, a Batman and Robin, I think movie called Brave and the Bold, uh, which is, I think, uh, not necessarily about Robin, but in this case it is, uh, but it seems to be using Damian Wayne, the current Robin. So interesting, which is a weird choice only in the sense that like, there hasn't really been a good Dick Grayson movie or or yeah, Dick Grayson is still the one the public knows like he is he is America's Robin, I think. Yeah. So to make a movie about like sort of this new Robin. uh, uh, And I don't know whether or not in this movie he is the first Robin or or like in the comics sort of becoming the new Robin by virtue of being related to Batman. um, I don't know, but it's. Damien's Wayne's sort of story is sort of seeped in like the fact that he is not the first Robin and he's later in Batman's career. So 
it feels like a weird choice, but also at the same time, they're still making those Matt Reeves Batman films kind of off to the side as sort of their own thing because they're successful. So, yeah, you get your solo Batman, you get Batman and Robin. I'm excited to have a Robin movie. Yes, I hope it's good, but I don't know who's making it. So I don't I'm not too excited. They're going to yeah. make an authority movie or, or I think a movie. That's a pretty wild choice. OK, that is a Wildstorm property that Warren Ellis uh, created that is sort of. It is sort of a Justice League analog, sort of. The, their powers don't really line up that well with Justice League characters that much. Some of them do. But they're basically like, you know, super team that decides to be proactive in the sense of like, this world is a bad place. So we're not going to wait for permission. We are going to take out dictators. We are going to mm-hmm. help starving people. We're going to do big things and just make diff- – we're going to make a difference. We're not going to wait for – So it's government. in the realm of a squadron supreme approach. It is. And I think I said this when we were covering squadron supreme. It reminded me more of the authority than anything else. Yeah. Uh, some people sort of dismissed that, I guess. But if that's what it felt like to me. An authority just is like a modern version of that. Yeah. Uh, like when that comic came out, it was very much – like widescreen comics is what people called it because it felt like a movie. Uh, it was four issue arcs and it was like big and explosive and huge and violent. Uh, the main, not the main characters, but there's like a Supermanish character and a Batman character who are both gay and a couple. Okay. Um, uh, uh, that sounds like more, ooh, but it's like they're really fleshed out characters. They're more than that. Mm-hmm. But like when you look at them, you're like, well, this is your Batman and your Superman. Yeah. Like one flies and is really strong and one like dresses in black and is really violent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they are a couple and they're really fun. Yeah. Um, but so the power sets are fun. But what's interesting about them is that they're this sort of. Uh, superheroes are doing it wrong. You know, it's a very British comic in that sense. Uh, it sort of spawned a really cool Superman story called. uh I'm going to get the title slightly wrong, but like, what's so funny about truth, justice in the American way? Okay. Which was written by, I think, Joe Kelly. Uh, And it was basically, he created, so that, so if if the authority are like Justice League analogs, he created authority analogs in a Superman story that was basically kind of showing like, a lot of people took authority to be like, ah, this is why Superman stinks. Authority's cool. Superman's lame. And and so he basically told the company, he was like, no, this is why Superman is cool, because he doesn't do these things that they do. And he kind yeah, of written by Joe story. Kelly. It came out in March 2001. Action Comics 775. That's and it's what you're great. It's about. a really, really great story. It's basically like, you know, not necessarily saying authority is dumb, but just sort of being like, no, Superman is cool is kind of the point of that story. It is always weirdly reassuring. I mean, it, it's it's how can Superman ever be considered the underdog either as a character within his universe or as a story? He's one of the most successful stories of all time. Uh, and yet he does seem to get shunted aside in, in favor of the flavor of the month all the time. And it's always reassuring when someone's like, um, Big Daddy's Big Daddy for a reason. Like um, this yeah. is the guy who created the world we're in. Um, so it, it yeah. is, and people, how can you not love Superman? He is, you know, a, as a reader of comics or a watcher of movies, a good Superman story is ha- a joyful. It's just, it makes you feel good about the universe. Yeah. Having a superhero be a hero 
shouldn't be a negative thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, he's a but, he's a good human being. He's a good but they're, a good soul. But so they're making a Superman movie. They're making a Batman movie. They're making an Authority, I think, movie. But then they're also doing some TV shows. They're doing an animated Creature Commandos thing, mm-hmm. which is like Frankenstein and the Werewolf uh, uh, sort of army core. Okay. Uh, in the comics, um, I think a JM DeMatteis creation is the Creature Commandos that so they've been used by lots of other people. But it's I don't know much about that project other than it's animated. They're also going to do an Amanda Waller TV show, um, sort of uh, spinning out of the um, Suicide Squad and Peacemaker shows. Okay. Uh, and uh, a Green Lantern show. The Amanda Waller makes sense. I mean, that's a really fun – she's sort of like a more diabolical shield, right? Yeah, she is. Like, yeah. like, a, like a government-sponsored black ops kind of – yeah, definitely. Yeah, Cynical. she's like that's really fun. I mean, her presence in Peacemaker and Suicide Squad is a blast. So, yeah, and Viola Davis is still playing the part. So it's interesting. Like there are some actors that are keeping their roles. Okay. Like, yeah. Like it sounds like the Superman will be recast. It won't be Henry Cavill. Cable. Cavill, uh, I think. I think. Uh, but like some of like it, so there's no given thing that's like oh jason momoa is not going to play aquaman anymore like maybe maybe not we don't know um they're still coming out with like the next aquaman movie because that's already almost finished and there's a flash movie and all these sort of the last vestiges of the old regime pre-james gun movie are still coming out um but yeah so like viola davis will still be amanda waller at the very least um and so there's chance that like margot robbie will stay as harley quinn and things like that it's just it's they're sort of piecing it together, it seems like. Uh, Creature Commandos was indeed created by J.M.D. Mateus and uh, artist Pat Broderick, ni- uh, November 1980. Um, uh, J.M. says that editor Len Wein gave the thumbs up and maybe came up with the title Creature Commandos. Uh, Len Wein, man. Len Wein's fingers are on so many things. Yeah. Uh, his but name is like- not heralded like the way that it should be. I mean, he's one of the most impactful editors, I think, of all time. It's just very weird. Like, unlike, say, Stanley or Jack Kirby, there's there's rarely a property where you're like, oh, he was the best person to work on that idea. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, Len Wein brought the new X-Men. But then Claremont. <laughs> was the guy yeah. who actually, yeah. And Len, yeah. Len was the editor of Watchmen, but that's clearly an Alan Moore. Or Swamp Thing. He created Swamp Thing, right? He created Swamp Thing, and after his roommate had done Man Thing over at Marvel, which is so funny to me that two roommates in Manhattan each did Swamp Creatures for their respective yeah. characters. But Swamp Thing was more impactful than Man Thing. Sure. You know? But it wasn't uh, Werewolf by Night Alan, special notwithstanding. But then until Alan Moore took over, like it wasn't like a big, big deal, I would say. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah like when, you think, when you say Swamp Thing, most people think the Alan Moore run. Absolutely. Although the yes, can I push back a little bit? The very first issue, Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson's, yeah. is like immortal. Like that is such a beautiful, moving story. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, you're right. Like I, yeah, Swamp, Swamp Thing. Alan Moore, Alan Moore took Swamp Thing the way Aretha Franklin took the song "Respect." Like it is Alan Moore's. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in a way that like when you say Fantastic Four, people still think Kirby and Lee. When yes. you say Spider Man. Not everyone thinks Ditko 
but, but comic book fans know but, that but, it's Ditko. But Ditko or Romita are like the first things most people think of. Yeah. When they think of like great Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think of Superman, I mean, you probably do think of Siegel and Schuster, <laughs> even though like maybe their stuff wasn't the best stuff, but it's just like the, it was so impactful. Yeah. But when you think of like a lot of these Len Wein things, and I agree, he's great, but like when you his properties got sort of usurped by such like not not small things like getting usurped by Claremont running the X-Men is like, well, yeah, of course, that's going to usurp anybody. Yeah. It was like seminal. It changed Marvel Comics. Um, so it's kind of funny. And then they're like work on projects that Alan Moore was involved with. It's like, yeah, OK. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're out of luck there, dude. Um, um, but yeah. So, uh, well, I, I don't have any media stuff to talk about with that. That what we just talked about was kind of our discussion. I do have one thing I want to add about last episode. Okay. That I'm mad we forgot to bring up. We went over X-Men number one last episode and we kind of rushed through the issue because the issue itself was rushed. But one thing we didn't talk about, I don't think we talked about it. The sky writing at one point, Magneto at one point takes a bunch of metal filings and writes a big note in the sky that says something like, I'm going to, you know, surrender your army bases to me. Yeah. And then he signs it Magneto, but most of the message is in block print type, and then Magneto is signed in like a kind of flourish cursive. <laughs> and it looks so funny to have a threatening the world message, but then like Magneto as like this happy signature. <laughs> it's like, I think the silliest panel in a very rushed story. And also it, nobody comments on it. Like, I think at least one person would be like, what's with the signature? <laughs> I don't know. There's a, probably still freaked out about him pulling the nuclear missile out of the silo. Give him some, <laughs> give him a break. I don't know. I really loved it. And uh, <laughs> it's very Marvel Comics, I think. Um. Anyway, that's just, I wanted to mention that. We didn't mention it last episode. Um. Okay. So um, Avengers number one. Uh, should we take a break and then go through that? I think we almost have to go through this page by page. It's so crazy. Sure. Um, yeah, let's take a short break. Maybe it's early. Maybe it's late. Who knows? I don't know how these we have, shows we, turn out. We don't know how to do anything. <laughs> and we're back to discuss the Avengers, Earth's mightiest superheroes. So um, I enjoyed this issue. It is crazy and it is really not that representative of what the avengers would come to be or mean although there's some seeds of it but that's mostly just because there's so much stuff thrown in here that any yeah, which packed. way the avengers ever became you could probably look back and see seeds of it here yeah um, i enjoyed this issue too but i wouldn't say it's good <laughs> yeah i wouldn't either like i weirdly think the x-men comic is a better comic story yeah. Than this, which sort of just feels like a lot of stuff kind of going every which way. It'd be a while before I feel like the Avengers finds its footing, um, you know, it becomes this great title. But it, it's it's a weird one. Uh, uh, I read this and then I skimmed the next couple issues, which seemed really bad to me. Yeah. Uh, and issue four is OK. The one with Captain America. Right. But still isn't like great. It's still like kind of a little all over the place. And there are. They remind me of the pre-great era of Fantastic Four in the sense that, like, 
there's just logical leaps and then like plot lines that are like, why is this in here? This is, I mean, I, I, through our reading of these six, I totally agree. And through our reading of these sixties stuff, we've come to know what a Jack Kirby comic is. And it's like, every panel is great to look at. Um, sequences of very inventive visual ideas but also yeah the connective tissue is bad like the the leap from this to this the why a certain thing solves a problem why a certain thing is a problem is rarely well explained Mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to be a huge build of a story arc uh sometimes there is but not always. And when it is, it seems often just kind of rushed at the end. Uh, whoever's doing the dialogue, usually in, in Marvel comics, we're talking about Stan Lee has to like solve a lot of these problems just with captions and text. And sometimes he's able to do it neatly. And a lot of times it's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, there's something to, when we were talking about Kirby taking, wanting all the credit and Stanley getting all the credit. Um, it feels like Stanley deserves more credit for these early issues, just in the sense that like he's making sense of them and, and, and the dialogue is helping out so much. And he was probably a little bit more involved with the plot as opposed to like the later issues, like definitely like when you think of like the later FFs that are so good, which feel like more fully formed and there's less explaining that Lee has to do. And he just has to like give it personality. Yeah. Which is less important at that point. Like weirdly, right. like someone else, like if somebody else had scripted the Galactus saga, it'd probably still be pretty good. Exactly. Yeah. But if somebody the, else, had the, maybe... char- the characters were established, the voices of these characters were established. Right. But if somebody else had like scripted the first six issues of Fantastic Four, they probably wouldn't have worked. D- yeah, I think that's right. Um, um, but yeah, so this issue is it feels like that. <laughs> I say we go through it because. um uh, this this one's pretty fun. Let's start with the cover. Uh, it says the Avengers. Right away, there's something crazy because at the top of the cover, it says Thor, Ant-Man, Hulk, Iron Man. And they just leave out the Wasp, who is also a founding member and is on the cover. Yeah, I think because she is part of the Ant-Man franchise. Yeah, she's, she's, in, a, she's in the Ant-Man title. Um, I mean, it should say Ant-Man and Wasp. But, um, I agree. I agree. She's also it, a woman in... in... <laughs> she's a female uh which and, is you know marvel doesn't you know care <laughs> hugely second class status at this era of marvel comics but we see the avengers so named including the wasp facing off against loki who's kind of in the foreground this is uh I, this is just an okay cover right like this cover is not like uh by jack kirby standards anything it's not bad or good i mean we see the heroes thor is in a terrific posture I don't know. How, how do you how do you rate? It's this pretty cover? straightforward. I mean, the Hulk looks great. Um, a good a good Kirby Hulk is a great to behold. He doesn't draw a great Iron Man. Well, I think he's going for he doesn't he he's going for a different thing. Iron Man is supposed to be menacing and sort of, I think you know, a heavy footed, like terrible, terrifying creature, not like the sleek cool guy no yeah i realize this is his big bulky gold armor not his ditko redesigned armor he just looks awkward and uncomfortable and like lurchy um which i feel like don heck doesn't didn't draw him that way when we were reading those issues even in the big bulky armor that's all well how do you think ant-man looks 
riding his two flying ants. I mean, Ant-Man looks powerful, sexy, <laughs> um, dynamic. You know, we read the Ant-Man comics. We see why he is a founding Avenger. <laughs> he deserves it. I think he looks great, honestly. I think he looks good. I mean, he's standing on ants, which is ridiculous, but he, <laughs> he looks great. Okay. I think it's a good costume. The Ant-Man has a – his costume pops. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it's memorable. On this cover, like the little dots of red from him and the wasp looks great. Um, well, I hope you enjoy it in this issue because next issue he's into his giant man costume, and I'm not sure he ever dresses as Ant-Man again. So I hope you enjoy it. I think he does from time to time. But I like his giant man costume too. I think Ant-Man has had some pretty good costumes for a <laughs> character who is one of the least interesting Avengers. And he looks he's he's you know, he's you know, he's dating Wasp, who's a fashion person. Uh, uh are they dating? I think they are they must be dating the way they talk to each other. I mean, she refer to each with other every as single like hun and things yeah. like that. Okay, and they yeah. Flirt. I think they are just dating in a Marvel or uh, I love Lucy, uh, Dick Van Dyke style of separate beds. Uh huh. Okay. Never okay. Kiss, okay. Not non sexual. Yeah. Yeah. But they're a couple. Okay. Um, let's go to the first page. This is the coming of the Avengers, which happens on the last page of this issue. So uh, um, we open with Loki in profile looking over the aisle of silence. And then down the side of the page, we have portraits of Thor, Iron Man, Ant-Man, and the Wasp, and the Hulk, who we will come to see soon. And on, I'm just going to skip right by that splash page, although sure. it's a, a fine splash page. Um, we we learn on page two that Loki has been imprisoned here by Odin be, and because of something Thor did. And we're going to see that Loki is plotting revenge primarily against Thor. Solely um, against Thor, I think. Yeah, uh, although it'll end up um, looping in the other would-be, yes. soon-to-be soon Avengers. And, and uh, these early Avengers comics have a little bit of the Super Friends feel, where it feels like, even though they have the Hulk on the team, it feels like it's really just like Thor is going to defeat these villains, and the other guys are just there to like supplement him. Yeah, like Superman in the in the in the Super Friends cartoon. That's right. Yeah, you know, like uh, uh, I think I've talked about it, but like one of my favorite moments in a Super Friends cartoon is where Superman is like captured by Dark Side or something, so that he can then take out the rest of the event uh, Justice League, which he immediately does. But yeah. when Superman gets free, he shows up and like in two seconds stops Dark Side and frees everyone. Yeah, and you're just like, what are the Super Friends for? Yeah, <laughs> Green Lantern couldn't do anything. <laughs> Apache Chief wasn't able to help us out there. Um, but anyway, uh, Thor gives me that vibe in the in the few issues I've read of these early Avengers. So what we learn here on page two, Lo we see Loki's kind of disembodied eyes jumping around from scene to scene as we sort of set the story for the issue. We read something else with disembodied eyes with Kirby, didn't we? Was there an FF story where something like this happened? Uh, it definitely is familiar. It feels like a Marvel thing, which is like we just have to quickly justify that a character is able to kind of be temporarily omnipotent to get all yeah. the information fast. Anyway, it so looks cool. He's, he's looking at Asgard where he's angry. Then he's looking at Donald Blake, Thor's civilian form and kind of scowling. He doesn't want to beat Donald Blake because that would be easy. He wants to beat him as Thor. And so then it's like, how can I make him turn into Thor? And he thinks of the simplest and most easiest and logical reason. Get the Hulk to attack. Not even to attack. Thor. Just to attack somebody. Yeah. To bring Thor out of hiding. 
this is already an example of Jack Kirby's huge leaps in logic, of which we're going to see a lot more on the next couple pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so the disembodied eyes of Loki are zooming in on Hulk, which is jumping around the Southwest, which that's where Thor, te- that's where Hulk tends to be in the desert and stuff. Yeah. Hulk does look pretty awesome. When Kirby draws Hulk, it's, it's terrific. It's great. He looks like he's flying again in this issue. It looks like Hulk can fly. Yeah. When you, when you get to the third page, he's turning, he's full horizontal line with no descent or ascent. Yeah, but that first panel, he is like swooping like an arch. Yeah. The the text always says he's jumping, but Jack Kirby is drawing a flying man. Yeah. Um so Loki uh Hulk is just happens to be flying like over a railroad trestle. And so Loki's plan <laughs> <laughs> and it's the first of many insane plans of this issue. He'll put a sort of illusion hologram of dynamite. Yeah. And when Hulk goes to save it because he's a good guy, he'll go so fast that he'll wreck the railroad trestle and get blamed for an impending railroad wreck. Right? That's right. Yes. Although later he will – Loki will soon just put holograms of himself in front of Thor. And, and this seems like it's got to be easier. Can't you just put a hologram of the Hulk somewhere? If you have the ability to project illusions, like also, if the dynamite was real, Hulk still would have wrecked this bridge, right? Yeah, he's like, coming the dynamite, at the dynamite. Being a hologram isn't what caused him to crash into the bridge. Like he still would have had to swoop down and pick it up. I mean, what the text says is that he's he is going fast enough to pick up the dynamite, but then when the dynamite is only an illusion, there's nothing there to stop his. <laughs> Force <laughs> grabbing dynamite wouldn't stop his force, right? Would it? No. Okay. No. Good. So he wrecks so. the trestle. There's a car. There's a real real car coming right away, and Hulk, with his strength, grabs a boulder, holds up the tracks just long enough for the train to safely pass. So he saves the day. Yes. But the people on the train see the Hulk and blame him, assume he was attacking, and so Loki is successful. There gets to be publicity of a Hulk attack on a train. Right, and that sets off a chain reaction. We gets Rick Jones, friend of the Hulk involved. He sees that the Hulk is blamed for attacking a train. He knows the Hulk would not do that. I don't really know what the Hulk's status quo is at this time. I think he is maybe trapped in the Hulk body, but it's still kind of bannery Hulk. It's unclear. He's, I think he's in that kind of hypnosis Hulk phase where like he, he obeys Rick Jones. No, he's definitely not in that phase. Uh, okay. Because well, the Hulk comic is over. Uh, okay, so we're pat- but the, in the next issue of the Avengers, Hulk is like goes to a chamber and Rick like zaps him with gamma rays to turn him back to Banner for the right, night. and that is a post okay. Rick Jones uh, controlling him. Right, like the last phase is like that Ditko <laughs> it's issue. So confusing where... to remember because every issue of the Hulk, the powers were different. But the last phase of the Hulk involved him turning back and forth, and like each time, like sort of becoming angrier and Rick Jones being like, oh, it feels like Banner doesn't have a lot of control over this Hulk. Okay. And then he would like go fight this, the metal master or whatever and yeah. slap and slap Rick Jones and then turn <laughs> back and Rick Jones would be like, oh, I'm worried next time he changes, he won't change back. Okay. So we're in some version of that phase. Rick Jones reads a newspaper, which has the standard Marvel comics, three quarters of the page headline. Train engineer identifies Hulk as would-be wrecker. That's on the back page of the paper, by the way. 
Sports yeah, that section. is the, the very bag. That is the, the sports section. Yeah, the sports section has been preempted by Hulk Train News. Uh, Rick Jones invokes the Teen Brigade, whose power is using ham radios. Right, and this is formed in Hulk Six, which means we're way past because Hulk Hypnosis was one and a half issues or my, one my issue bad. only. My bad. My bad. <laughs> How do you so, not remember that status quo only lasted? <laughs> uh, so the Teen Brigade use their ham radio powers which is using ham radios right this whole section is so crazy too so they reach out to of course the premier super team in the marvel universe the fantastic four already a connected universe is a hassle yeah we got we have to get the ff out of the way to justify the existence of the avengers like you don't need you don't need the avengers if the ff are around that's right um so but at least this is a logic. The T Brigade is so far the smartest entity in this book. Like they're the only <laughs> people making sense to me. So they send the radio waves. The radio waves, we see them drawn. Yeah. Loki's disembodied eyes see the, ra- <laughs> the ham radio waves heading to the Baxter building. He creates a green tornado that redirects the waves themselves and points them only into a radio of Don Blake. Yeah, the the Thor, Thor's civilian. Why identity. he didn't just send a message to Don Blake? Yeah, just you make a hologram of a radio sending that message <laughs> feels like would have been easier. But, but Don anyway, Blake, Don Blake hears this. So his, out of his, his clock radio, which is on his desk, he hears a message that people are sending from a ham radio. Contact Team Brigade. Hulk must be found. Um. He's, he knows of the Teen Brigade because he goes, the Teen Brigade, they're located in the Southwest. They're famous. Yeah, everyone knows the Teen Brigade. It must be serious so that time has come. Loki managed to only send the part of the message that said Hulk is loose and cut off the part that said, hey, Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, that's deliberate. There's like an ellipses in the message that Don Blake hears, like Stan Lee is being mindful of only sending the second half of the message. So. Don Blake, you know, takes his wooden stick, hits the ground, turns into Thor, and now Thor is on the case. Cut to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ant-Man and Wasp, who also heard the message somehow, even though it was very clearly directed to the desk of Don Blake. That's right. Somehow Ant-Man and Wasp. So Ant-Man and Wasp are like, we got to get to the southwest of the United States. So what do they do? They go into their little cannons and fire themselves out, which I don't they, know why the wasp needs, but but they, they get like a double. Down. They have a double cannon. Well, she calls that out. They get into they get into a double cannon to fire themselves into the sky, but then are just riding flying ants, which to me means they don't need those cannons at all. Right. And wasp. They don't says, keep flying. They don't keep flying ants at their lab. I guess so. Yeah, they have to get out in the wild. <laughs> Uh, the wasp is riding two flying ants, and she says, why do I have to use your silly flying ant relays? I happen to have my own wings. And Ant-Man is like, we have a thousand miles to cover, Jan. I don't want you exhausted when we get there. That's Stanley doing some work to justify sure. why the wasp has wings drawn on her, but is riding two ants. Right. I mean, I'm amazed those ants can cover a thousand miles. Yeah, I'm like, hey, maybe just stay full size and buy a plane ticket. That's got to <laughs> be faster. Or drive. <laughs> it's got to be a faster way to get. Even- or don't go. Or ride a bicycle. I think that would be faster. Or call the Fantastic Four yourself. <laughs> They've got a pogo jet. <laughs> or borrow it. <laughs> or honestly, yeah. go to Pan Am. 
go to go to uh, yeah. It's not JFK at this time, but whatever New York International Airport, whatever it's called, and like buy or Idlewild. I don't know. Buy a ticket to Phoenix. Maybe Amtrak is the quickest way at this time. Who knows? But riding, riding an ant has got to be one of the slower ways. <laughs> it's good. Riding an ant has to be marginally faster than walking. I would think. <laughs> I, right. I yeah, yeah, it's probably faster than. I think walking. a flying insect it goes faster than we would walk. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, if they, they zip right along. Assuming the ant doesn't get exhausted before a thousand miles is up. Well, I think I would assume a flying ant is ant faster than walking at full size. Um. Okay. Then we cut to Iron Man, who also intercepted the message. He puts on his armor, and he's going to fly to the southwest to where the team brigade is. No one just gets on a ham radio like these guys. The team brigade is the most accessible group in America. Like, yeah. And also telephones exist. Right. Okay. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, you could just call these guys. <laughs> I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't alive in the sixties. I'm not positive telephones existed. <laughs> I know there's no email or texting, but like, I mean, our dad mostly talked about ham radioing his friends all the time. And like, <laughs> send ham a telegram. And he had to like ham radio to work to say he was sick, not coming in or what have you. So <laughs> I, this is, I love this issue. So Iron Man is flying there also. I love this thing on page uh, – it's page six of the comic. Uh, as Iron Man is lifting off, the speech balloon is, I'll propel myself for most of the trip by my solar battery. It's slower than my transistors, but it lasts longer, and I've got a long way to go. And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going to fly there one way or the other. Yeah, that That's not the part that is raising the most questions that we've seen so far. <laughs> no one's thinking, wait a minute, transistors? They can't go the whole trip. Also, you think he could land wherever he's going, plug in for 10 minutes if he needed to, and then go yeah. back? Because he, he has like an outlet. He's got like a plug-in-the-wall extension yeah. cord coming out of that thing. Anyway, we cut to the team teen brigade, uh, and they now they do get the Fantastic Four. Which makes no sense as well. Yeah, it makes no sense, but they do. And so we have a little interlude with the FF, and this is probably just let's have the hit property of Marvel Comics do a little guest star. Sure, sure. So uh, Reed is talking to them, and Reed just says, according to my calculations, your message should be picked up by some others who can help you. If you don't get help soon, radio back and let me know, which is sort of like somehow I can sense that other people are on the way, so you don't need me. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea that Reed's like, eh, somebody else, I think somebody else can handle the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, so you're not, you don't want to get involved. Also, the torch is just flying around in the background, I think for no reason, inside. Yeah. I like Sue's hairstyle in this issue. Me too. Um, Okay, so we cut to the team brigade and Thor arrives and then Iron Man is there and Ant-Man and the Wasp. They all made the same time. So ants were as fast as Thor and Iron Man. So I guess we're wrong. Uh, yeah, we were wrong to disrespect the ants. Um, they also we... noticed Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is great because like in later issues that I skimmed, they often ignore they, – they have to grow before anyone even knows they're in the room frequently. <laughs> uh, one of the team brigade, it's not Rick Jones, notices, look flying above us. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, I So the Wasp's thing in this issue is she flirts with every man. She's kind of in love with every man that she sees. I think mostly just Thor, right? Well, okay. She comments on the attractiveness of every man because she doesn't like Iron Man. Yes. She comments on the looks of men. Uh, and I start to I'm start to won over by it. I start to be I start to be won over by it. Like you, you like that as a personality trait. Well, we we've commented that like 
all the the women of the Marvel Universe in the 60s are pretty relegated to just like mm-hmm. being hostages and shopping. But the Wasp goes so hard in talking about the attractiveness of men that it just starts. I'm like, she's going beyond just an afterthought. It's like her full thing. So like flirty Wasp, I start to think now nah, that that could work. I mean, uh, if she was the ad- only one as a devil's advocate, she is like. The, the the rich daughter of a scientist, not like a scientist herself, not somebody who is she only became a superhero because her dad was killed by Cosmos. <laughs> so, you know, it's not even like Sue where like she spent her whole life hanging out with like these adventurers. Yeah. So she and, is like a also, normal person thrust into this world is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it makes some sense that she would sort of have a non superhero view of events, I guess, other than it's lame, um, but it makes sense. <laughs> Um, okay, so they project themselves up on the screen so they can talk to people. Again, just maybe grow right here and talk to yes. them, but instead they they project themselves. Now this issue gets really crazy. Yeah, we're on page eight. So page eight, Loki is mad that people besides Thor are involved. So he just projects a hologram of the Hulk to attract Thor, which I'm like, you could have done this to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't need to be redirecting ham radio rays. Thor immediately knows it's Loki did it. Yeah. So also the whole subterfuge is unnecessary. Um, yeah. Why didn't you just come to Earth and fight him? He fights the Hulk, sees it's a hologram, and immediately is like, only Loki is capable of such wizardry. That's not true, by the way. I should have suspected he must be behind it. He's right. Um. Uh, so the whole like trying to trick Thor was not necessary. He's ready to fight Loki. He heads up the Rainbow Bridge to Asgard to investigate what's going on. Meanwhile, Rick Jones and Iron Man check out what's going on with the Hulk, which is what's going on with the Hulk. He is working at the circus as a clown, <laughs> juggling uh, elephants and horses and sea lions. Not just as a clown. He's posing as a robot called Mechano. Yeah. yeah. But he doesn't look like a robot. He looks like the Hulk in clown makeup. So That's it right, is yeah. supposedly a robot who looks like the Hulk dressed as a clown in the i, I got to assume 12 hours since we last saw the hulk right i mean like oh no a newspaper came out 24 hours maybe so, 36 hours but like does the hulk need a job like can't he just hide in a cave if he has to hide again i'm not 100% sure of what his status quo is <laughs> but the image of hulk in clown makeup juggling animals is both the best and worst of kirby cuz it looks but- kind of cool like it's it's interesting it's wild it's well drawn it's it's drawn well Uh, but logically it is really hard to defend this sequence out of nowhere but also okay imagine being at the circus look in the background there's like a few balloons and like one guy sitting on another guy's head and a trapeze artist is climbing a ladder how does anyone at this circus compete with the man juggling the elephant (laughs) (laughs) well to your point He's a hit. <laughs> the crowd is into Mechano. But, but why is anything else happening? The other members of the circus are just sort of like, hey, we're, you know, we're a sellout. We got a hit on our hands. The, they look like a really interesting crew. We have a sort of a dashing silver-haired gent as the ringmaster. And then I guess just an investor <laughs> with a cigar, a guy in a Sandman-style horizontal striped shirt hanging out. And then a woman 
looks like an evil villainess, but she is nobody. She's just around and watching. Yeah, no, no word balloons for her. She doesn't look like a circus character to me. She looks like a countess who is just kind of in the background. Yeah. And the Hulk's second act is lifting up a huge cage filled with lions. Do you um, like lion taming? What if it's held up by the Hulk? So there's an ant watching, which gets info to Ant-Man and Even Wasp. ants like the circus. <laughs> um, Ant-Man and Wasp immediately spring into action. Ant- Ant-Man riding his flying ants. Wasp now choosing to fly, going to the circus. They see the Hulk performing. By the time, by the time Ant-Man gets there... <laughs> Hulk is holding up a like a uh, wheeled cage on yeah. his foot, like he's leaning on his back and holding up a. He's like spinning it. He's like kicking it around like it's a ball, like uh, like a seal or whatever. Yeah, like a seal would do with a ball. He's doing it with like this train car cage. Uh, Ant Man orders his ants to dig a hole beneath the Hulk, and it caves in beneath him, so he collapses into the earth. This is all being watched by circus crowds. Yeah. He breaks out of the ground, sees Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, and be- begins to want to fight them. Oh, no, he wants to, like, walk away, but then Ant-Man and Wasp, they talk into a microphone to get his attention, orders the ants to drop a barrel I mean, they've on the him. He was doing nothing wrong. <laughs> they've attacked him, and now they're trying to reason with him. It's like, maybe don't attack him. <laughs> this is so crazy. Uh, yeah, so they dropped some metal cylinders that were hanging from the ceiling on him. So the crowd's loving it. They think it's part of the act. Hulk is fed up. He wipes off the clown makeup, revealing he's the Hulk. I think it was pretty clear he was the Hulk already. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you knew of the Hulk, I think you would identify him. I guess he also takes off his entire clown outfit because he's back in his purple shorts two panels later. Right. And so... um. Uh, Ant-Man and Wasp now have to fight the Hulk for a fight they started. Hulk picks up some fireplace bellows. <laughs> yeah. That are nearby. I don't think that's a normal circus prop. And and blows a bunch of wind and blows the Wasp and then catches her in his fingers. Impressive. No one can save you now. It is impressive. It's very agile. But now Iron Man is here. That's right. And the Hulk runs away and there's a and he escapes the circus. I don't know why he was there anyway. Circus is going to have to come up with a new business model. Uh, Iron Man chases after the Hulk, uh, and the Hulk gets away from him. Yeah, by changing speeds while jumping? I don't don't know. It's all very weird. Meanwhile, Thor has gone back to Asgard to talk to Loki. Like a completely separate story. Yeah, he asked Odin for permission to go to Loki and investigate. Yes. And Odin's like, I, you're both my sons. I won't be able to help you because I can't fight against Loki or something. Mm-hmm. And so now Thor goes to the Isle of Silence. There's some cool mystical stuff happening here, like living trees fighting him. Then he has to cross an ocean. There's a volcano. On the bottom of page 15 is a fun panel where Thor sees a bunch of pink globes coming out of the volcano and says, just as I feared. <laughs> Yep. It is spewing forth volcanic g- gas globules capable of sapping the strength of any god and then leaving him weak and helpless when they explode. I'm like, I, well, I didn't know what those were. <laughs> That's why he told you. There is like this is like four pages of like Thor going to this island and fighting Loki or maybe three pages, three full pages, plus the, you know, the half page of him talking to Odin beforehand. Where it's just Thor chasing down Loki. 
Yeah, like you say, like that's the main thrust of the story is Thor versus Loki. Um, Thor once... decides to bring Loki to Earth. Um, yes. Just to like meet the Avengers. <laughs> uh, after defeating him, right? Yeah, I mean, he defeats him like by using his hammer as a magnet or something. There, There is like... Well, there's... I just want to say a couple of things that happen because it's so wild. When Thor gets to the island of Loki, Loki summons a troll from the earth, kind of like Mole Man bringing up some monsters. And the troll wants to capture Thor to use him in mining. But Thor defeats the troll pretty easily with his hammer. Then there's a multiple Loki sequence, but Thor defeats them by blowing them all away with wind until just the real one is left. And then uses his his hammer to summon waves of magnetism capturing loki pretty easily and then decides to bring him to earth as you say just to meet the avengers who don't, yeah, who I mean, don't exist they're not a group yet yeah yeah i mean thor met them for all of five seconds before he was distracted by a hulk hologram yeah uh okay so hulk is on earth running away iron man's chasing him uh, iron man asks a passing plane hey have you se- seen the hulk <laughs> they, which is they, great they have the cockpit window <laughs> Yeah, just like doesn't use his like CB radio, it just like flies up to the window and talks to the guy. And he taps on the glass. Hulk hides in a tire factory. Mm-hmm. So there's a quick tire fight between Hulk and Iron Man. Love that. I love good locations. I kind of love that too. Um uh Thor uh, Iron Man's able to use some machines to sort of subdue the Hulk, like a giant sort of pincer pins him against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Iron Man's closing in on Hulk, but then Thor descends with Loki in tow um, and is kind of like, all right, look, here's Loki. This is he, he's behind all this. Don't be mad at the Hulk. He's all behind all what? <laughs> right. Like, what, what What are we blaming Loki for right now? I don't know. I mean, the train acts, the train near accident. That people blame the Hulk for. And the Hulk hologram that Thor immediately knew was Loki's doing. But that Hulk who did nothing. That hologram didn't do anything wrong. That's true. Like, really, all the Hulk did was, from even from the Avengers standpoint, the Hulk, like, maybe attacked a train but didn't hurt anybody on it and then got a job at a circus and then they <laughs> attacked him. And this is all Loki's fault. It's like, ah, this is all the Avengers' fault in my mind. <laughs> the Avengers are the real bad guys. I don't think uh, we, Reed would have fallen to this. He would have for sure, but he would have. Uh, then we have a little Loki versus the Avengers fight for like a page, not even, not even just like a panel or two because they they get mad at him, but then Loki turns himself radioactive. Uh, well, the, also he glows, and Iron Man identifies it. He's made himself radioactive. Uh, I don't think that's evident, but um, luckily he's got, he's, he's got gauges. Okay, I guess Iron Man's got a radio radio radiation detector. In the Marvel Universe, that'd be useful because there's radiation everywhere turning people into superheroes. Luckily, though, Loki was standing over a trap door of a chute to a lead-lined container. So he uh, falls. Ant-Man opens the trap door, and (laughs) Loki slides into a lead-lined container and is captured. And the Avengers all decide to work as a team, including the Hulk, (laughs) who... They fought for the whole. The Hulk is not on this team. He's been added to the team. The Hulk's the Hulk being a founding member of the Avengers is very cool, but it's also ridiculous because in these first three issues, he is the villain in all three issues. 
and then he quits, which he should. <laughs> They're always attacking him. I mean, it is so funny to read this issue and be like, this will be the most valuable movie property of the aughts. It's like, yeah. not Superman, not the Fantastic Four, which at least is a yeah. hit. Not Spider-Man, which at least makes sense yeah. <laughs> as a story. And, and you're like, Spider-Man is also very valuable, but it's nothing like the Avengers. Yeah, the Avengers, I mean, it's so funny. This That this worked, I mean, this just shows like, oh, all these characters together, I'll get it, works so well, especially back then. I mean, it does, it justifies Mark. If you're Goodman's, a fan of any one of these characters, you buy this comic. Right, right. It justifies Martin Goodman, the publisher, uh, his cynicism, where he's like, just throw a bunch of heroes together. He's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't I mean, know how well it sold, but it sold well enough to get better. Yeah. And I mean, also, we're laughing at it, but like, it is true that Jack Kirby, like Hulk being Mechano, the robot in clown makeup, juggling elephants, <laughs> doesn't make any sense, but it does uh -huh. look fun. Like, Jack yeah. Kirby comics are never boring, and this yeah. issue is not boring. But like, then, but then you know, it's just like as long as Jack Kirby's making a comic, it's going to be good, is what you're saying. It doesn't need to be the Avengers. That's correct. I mean, the Fantastic Four is way better than the Avengers because it's got all of that inventiveness and a generally more thought through stories. I mean, they canceled Hulk for this in a way. Yeah, and the Hulk was better than this. I mean. The, Hulk the first six issues of the Hulk, it's they're bonkers, but there's I think there's something there versus the this Avengers team, which is just like, um, just weird. I don't. I, wanna, I mean, real. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's strange, but it, the 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 decision does pay off. The Avengers become, you know, a cornerstone of Marvel comics. The the next issue involves what the Space Phantom. Yeah, like a shaky control of the Hulk. Yeah, shape-shifting villain who can control one person at a time, sort of similar to Puppet Master or that other person we read. Mr. Doll? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he takes over the Hulk's body and other people, too. And then in the third issue, Hulk teams up with Submariner. Against the Avengers. Yeah. So Hulk Submariner really is a villain in that one, I guess? Yeah. Although his justification is, I'm tired of these guys chasing me, and he's he's dead on about that. <laughs> he hasn't done anything wrong, uh, at so, least for a little while. And his teaming up with the Submariner is like, hey, why not? These guys, if you're going against these guys, I'll do it. And the Submariner is against all of Surface Dwellers. How do they lose? Hulk and Submariner. Hulk and Submariner versus Iron Man, Giant Man, and the Wasp. I mean, well, Thor, Thor maybe can take one of those two guys out of the picture. I don't you can't think take them both. They don't. I don't remember, but they don't capture them. They just kind of like wear them out and they go away. Yeah. Submariner and Hulk. So it's more like Submariner and Hulk escape than they I mean, get defeated. Good for them. So here in issue four, uh, Avengers four, I, we don't need to go through this in any, any anything like that detail. But the big thing of issue four is Captain America is thawed out of the ice. And it's the whole like linking the Captain America of the 40s to modern times and him joining the Avengers. And this already looks way more like the Avengers that that we know of. Sure. I mean, you have the added benefit that now we have Iron Man in his Steve Ditko designed armor, which looks so much better. Yes. 
Uh, you also, added Captain America, who looks great with this team. He looks great, and he fits. And any incarnation of the Avengers, Cap is you know Cap is in charge almost all of the time, for decades. Yeah, he's immediately uh, the most in- exciting member of this team. Um, Ant Man's in his giant man costume, which, as you say, is a good costume, and it just makes more sense to have a giant person. Like the Avengers, just look formidable now. Mm-hmm. This almost really is issue one of the Avengers as they will come to be. Like this is a this is a way closer version of what this book will be. I mean, in a couple of years, all these people except for Captain America quit the team. Yeah, but that that is also that's a couple of years. Yeah. And and these people come back in. Like they are regular yes. in they, these these guys come back forever. Like really only Hawkeye is missing. From from what I think of as like old school, well, no, Hawkeye, Vision, Scarlet Witch, um, Black Widow. Okay, yeah. So we still <laughs> we, we still have a couple iterations to go, but this still looks like the Avengers to me. Yes. Whereas that first issue, which like Ant Man and Wasp and Hulk as a clown in a circus, I'm like, what? It, that's a Thor issue. Yeah, I mean, again, through these issues, Thor's doing most of the heavy lifting. Sure. If I was Thor, I'd also quit this team. <laughs> Um, well, at least having Captain America, there's somebody with some emotional intelligence. Like Captain America just makes more sense than these guys, just in terms of the decisions he makes. This story so, is also a little bonkers. Yes, it is. But it's also interesting because Jack Kirby's a co-creator of Captain America. Mm-hmm. So he's bringing back one of his guys. Yes. And and somebody who was a hugely popular character. Like this is a big – this is not like bringing back the wizard. This is bringing back a a franchise property to Marvel. Sure. Um, and Jack's doing it. And I don't know. It It, it is a seminal issue. Um, oh, no, I'm not saying it isn't. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. Yeah. It's I mean, strong. even beyond Namor and Captain America seemingly not knowing each other. Which that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense. They don't seem to know each other at all. Um, We also get. Yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, The other important thing of this issue is it's the Captain America thawing out. So it's the attempt to make a continuity from the golden age yeah well and take the man out of time is such an important part of captain america as he is now known but it's not part of his origin right it's no it's added now this is it's added this, now but it this, becomes essential also like the the loss of bucky is in this issue and that's a huge part of captain like the fact that when the first thing that happens when he wakes up is he screams for bucky is very cool right so we learn that bucky died and he won't come back until Winter Soldier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Captain America is thought out and has just missed decades. Everybody, these guys all know and respect Captain America. And so yeah, it's a really cool story. Like it sure. is. I it mean, is... that's skipping the part where the Avengers are turned to stone by the alien creature <laughs> that Namor secretly tricked into attacking the Avengers, but he doesn't want to attack the Avengers. He just wants to fix his ship. And Captain America becoming obsessed with Rick Jones because he looks like Bucky ish. Uh, like, and and Rick Jones is understandably freaked out by that. Um, imagine if Captain America met you and was like, just looked at you immediately. It's like, you should be my partner. (laughs) I'd be freaked out. I'd also be like, you got to pick somebody else. (laughs) Um, you don't want me as a partner. Uh, also, it's revealed that this alien who can turn people to stone is the uh, inspiration for the myth of Medusa, that he's been around for a couple hundred years. And I mean, that's one of the least crazy parts of this story. <laughs> if there's an alien who can turn people into stone, I guess that must be where that story came, comes from. 
but he looks like a, a walking scarecrow. I think um, the art in this issue is extraordinarily good. Um, I mean, that alien is so crazy. It takes up so much pay of the page count. And then when they're fighting Namor, Namor is going to win. But then the alien rocket takes off and Namor gets scared and flies away. Uh, this is oh, the kind of weird. question of something that we should know, but we, but I don't know. And I wonder if Kirby inked his own pencils here because there's no inker credited. And I wonder if he's like, if Captain America's coming back, I got to like spend time on this and I got to like do it. I don't think he inked his own work uh, that ever. often. Okay. But yeah. I'll so see. there's nobody credited. Uh, and of course that's that they were not so diligent about credit. So it easily um, could be. Um, it is saying George Russo's George oh. Bell, sometimes known inked this comic. Okay. Well, it looks good. It, it looks more finished than some other Jack Kirby stuff from this era where he's where he's uh, rushing. You know, the underwater scenes with the Submariner, um, the flashback of Captain America and Bucky. The turning to stone stuff is a ridiculous story, but it, it makes for cool visuals. I um, guess. I mean, it, it separates Cap from the Avengers briefly so that he can explore in a in a way that makes sense why the Avengers let him walk off. But like they turn to stone. He's like, what a weird prank. And he walks away. It's very strange. It's very silly. Um, I don't know if there's any part of that that's cool. It's just it's just exists. it is silly. It is silly. It is still bonkers. Um, but I by mean, the end, look at this panel of the alien getting his mask taken off. Well, OK. Uh, uh, wait, where is it? Uh, oh, I turned the page by accident. Here we go. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, this is a bonkers comic. Yeah. He's like wearing this robe with a white scarf and he had like a human mask that Captain America has pulled off of him. He, looks, he, pull, he looks crazy. Like, he looks kind of like Groot, like he's got a big, long, <laughs> yeah. stocky head. Um, It doesn't look like that mask should have fit on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's bad. Um, I mean, that's like eight pages of the story it is crazy <laughs> i love it also i mean iron man is so underpowered in these issues he's become so much more powerful obviously in the movies but even by the time i was reading avengers uh comics when kurt busick was writing it like iron man was like one of the bigger guns he wasn't sure. thor level but he was like a good next he's... level hero and this he feels weak yeah um they still haven't figured out how he is powerful uh, it's also funny to just to know that Iron Man becomes such a cornerstone of the MCU, but that would have been strange even in 2000 to know that. Yeah, uh, and it's certainly strange now. But by the end of this issue, Cap joins Cap joining the Avengers makes makes way more sense than the Hulk joining the Avengers. Sure, they they rarely attacked him, only only to test his abilities. <laughs> I mean, that is the first thing they do; they attack him, but it's at his request. Um. So I don't know. That's issue, that's issue four. It is totally nuts. Um, yeah, I mean the uh, comic what? stays crazy for a while. I think. <laughs> I mean that whole alien thing is also that's also the. There's some point where Rick Jones has been captured by Namor, and the only reason you know that is because Namor tells you, he's like, "You forgot that I captured Rick Jones." <laughs> like, no, I went back and then reread the comic because I was like, I missed that too. It didn't happen. <laughs> Rick Jones was looking for this alien that turns people into stone. We don't see him again. And then Namor's like, by the way, I captured this kid. 
And that gets like Captain America, who's obsessed with Rick Jones. Like it's like his, like it's a twin of his ex girlfriend. You're and he selling attacks me on the this. team, and it is crazy. It, that is like a Stanley thing. It's like I guess I have to put a word balloon explaining that Rick Jones was captured here. Rick Jones was not in this comic anymore. He was written out halfway through. That's the sort of <laughs> stuff. That's where Kirby's weakness is, right? Kirby just like having fun. He's like, oh, then they'll have Rick Jones. I'm not going to go back and draw. I can't take away from my alien turning people to stone plot line to have Namor capture Rick Jones. So uh, um, it's, crazy. it's crazy. I mean, again, we've said it before, but I can just totally imagine the guys at DC picking up this issue being like, we don't have to be worried about this, do we? Yeah. <laughs> and they would be totally right to like not be threatened by this mishmash. Yeah, I mean the fact that they couldn't tell it's fun shows like how out of touch. Yeah, us I mean we don't, we have no idea what, what their reaction was, but um, I mean in the same sense that like you and I rarely watch Twitch streams of people playing video games. Yes. Um, like we don't we don't know. Yeah, but if we did, we'd be like, how is this more exciting than our uh, improv shows or whatever? And we would or be wrong just there playing as well. the games directly. But um, mm, yeah. no. <laughs> um, well. That's the Avengers. Uh, I'm glad we read it. Um, yeah, I had read the Avengers one, but it, I couldn't remember like any of it, and I could understand why it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I've read, I've read, I had the first essential, so I've read like the first twenty or so issues of the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, I didn't remember chunks of it because I probably only read it once. It was not something I went back and reread a lot. Yeah, I remembered most of that first Avengers story, but there were certain sequences like I forgot the whole part with Thor going to Asgard. I was like, oh, this is like a three or four page sequence that I had no memory of. It's very involved. Yeah. Um, but I remember like the beginning and the end pretty well. Uh, I certainly remember this cap story, but I did not remember the alien turning people to stone, which again is like a good chunk of this issue. I was like, how did I not remember this? Yeah. Because it's dumb and bad. I mean, I guess is why. <laughs> and you also remember just like cap being thought out. All the alien stories of this era are kind of weirdly left over from the science fiction fantasy era yeah. of like tales to astonish pre superhero stuff where like it's commonplace to just have aliens involved yeah, in your story aliens. and as marvel universe becomes a bit more cemented as a quote unquote real place that starts to look silly i mean even the ff who fight aliens and it feels like it fits fought like silly aliens for a while <laughs> right and it and eventually becomes like, oh, if you're going to fight aliens, they have to sort of be like the Kree or Skrulls where there is an established yeah. civilization with a mythology. It gets to be a little bit more Tolkien where the where everything has a mythology. Right. Aliens can't be a kid who's on Earth looking for candy yeah. or a guy dressed up as the tinkerer. It has that to be never, a little more than that. And you never see those aliens again or whatever. And like, yeah. I mean, until like Kurt Busiek or Dan Slott decide to bring them into a story for as a for, feat for giggles. Yeah. So uh, should we do any mail or we, uh, we we've, we've gone um, a while? Yeah, I feel like I'm out of time. OK, so we'll, we won't do mail, but um, we have but one we have more. mail, but I'm not going to read it. So if I'm, del I'm going to delete some of it right now, just at random. OK, uh, I think we have another Gethard email, right? We do have another Gethard email. But again, if I don't have time to read it in full, I cannot <laughs> I cannot start to read it. I can't summarize it even well. So I, we've got to save that for. Either next episode or the episode I after that, which will be a, probably a mailbag episode. Because next week will be Daredevil. 
and then we're done with Marvel first. And then I'm, I'm assuming we'll do a couple uh, uh, mailbag episodes before we enter into whatever's next. So we're, yeah. So we got Daredevil, and I bet you we'll do a couple pieces of mail there because we're probably only going to read one issue of Daredevil, although I guess I don't know. We don't know. And, we've, we've been wrong every time. Yeah. Uh, and then it, no matter what, I'm we will like, have a couple. Can, I'm sorry. Is my cat uh, purring into the microphone audible? It's not that audible. Okay, good. I, just, I can hear I, it just I hate a to ask bit. that. But he is rubbing up against it. It's very cute. I can see that cat, and it's a it's a good omen when a cat gets involved in a podcast. Sure, sure, sure. Um, okay, so Daredevil next. Maybe we'll do a couple pieces of email. That's our intention. We'll see. And then for sure, we're going to do some mailbag episodes, including the latest must-be-read-in-full Chris Gethard email. Yeah, we'll try to make time for that insane thing. It's way less insane than his... Um, Squadron Supreme. Squadron Supreme is better than Watchmen email. <laughs> we also have a, we we've only gotten. I'm surprised we've only gotten one person uh, making fun of me for not liking Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, uh, which, well, you, which we'll you, get into. I think because you admitted you're wrong. Like you, you yeah. weren't. You well, weren't this really... person was like, "How can you not like it?" I'm like, "Well, I mean, I just don't like it. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, I think people, he, the, people the are allowed like, to not like stuff. I yeah. think the email was something like Ultimate Spider-Man is good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know." I just don't, maybe we can uh, maybe at some point we should cover it. I don't want to rail on a comic everyone loves and that I know is good, uh, but I have reasons. <laughs> well, I think we should definitely talk about it at some point. Um, I'm going to read more of it, and it deserves at least an episode. I mean, there's a whole podcast devoted to it and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, maybe half an episode. There's only 120 <laughs> issues with Peter Parker as the but ultimate I, I, I do really love your takes on comics and your analysis, so I, I would love to discuss it and. And people can understand there are things that are universally beloved and hits that don't connect with some people like that happens. That's art. Uh, and I think a lot of what Twitter is right. teaching you us. You don't love uh, the White Album. <laughs> right. I'm a huge Beatles fan, but I don't get the White Album. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't That's the connect one you don't like. That's the one I don't, I don't like that or Abbey Road or uh, Hard Day's Night. But other than yeah, that, yeah. I love Just the those Beatles. ones. Yeah. Otherwise, you're maybe Revolver. the biggest Beatles fan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all in on um, Back to the Egg. The Wings album from 1979. <laughs> but, I like the um, demos, and that's basically it. When it was but, pure. That's right. But um, yeah, I think Twitter has taught us maybe the bad way of discussing art. And I think we we are all, us in the commenting culture, learning how to discuss things that we either like or don't like and separating our emotional reaction from us assessing whether it's good quality art or not. Like... There are things that you can see are quality that you might just not like. There's people who mm -hmm. don't like Bob Dylan albums because uh, his voice is annoying. And how can you argue with that? But on the other hand, for someone just says Bob Dylan is bad, it's like, well, you're not. That that seems crazy, <laughs> you know, yeah. or whatever. Um, and uh, certainly something as popular and successful as Ultimate has at least something going for it. And I can tell you that I'm loving the issues that I'm reading. So. Uh, I'm going to make some, I'm going to make some friends and Kevin's going to make some enemies whenever we do discuss those issues. Uh, all right. So, uh, we'll see you all next. Our email is screw it comics at Gmail. Our Twitter is screw it comics. Our Instagram is screw it comics. Please contact us. Please repost our Instagram stories. Let us know what you think of the Avengers and Medusa and, <laughs> and, Me and Mechano, the robot clown circus guy. Yeah. Um, all right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye everyone. Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about comics.